0: Hey, folks, welcome back to the Live Everything Podcast. This is your host, Trivius Caldwell. Hey, I really appreciate you hitting that button, spending your time with me today. I hope you enjoy what you hear. And if you do, and if you like it, subscribe to it and share it. And uh, let me know uh, if you need any elaboration on what I'm talking about. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to share my experiences with you and other folks who I otherwise wouldn't come in contact with. So I hope this helps you become a better you. It certainly helps me become a better me. And I uh, hope you enjoy what you hear. Thanks. Hey folks, welcome back to the Live Everything Podcast. This is your host, Trivius Caldwell. Uh, Today, this is part two of our discussion about West Point, beyond the boundaries of West Point. And so I'm I'm delighted to have a guest uh, on the show. Uh, His name is uh, First Lieutenant Chandon Hutchison, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about his journey, his experience at West Point, and where he is today. So I hope you're excited like I am, and stay tuned. Hey, folks, welcome back. This is uh, Trivius again. Hey, uh, this is part two of uh, a three-part series that I am doing about West Point, uh, my interactions with West Point, and then just some discussion from some of my former students. Um, and so I'm excited to have Chandon uh, Hutchinson. Um, I'll be calling him, um, and, and, and I'll kind of talk to him about his journey. And um, this will be a short one today, and uh, hopefully uh, we can we can add on to some of the content that we did about West Point earlier and uh, and see what happens. So, let's give him a ring and uh, see if we can get him on the line.
1: Hey, sir, how do you
0: hear me? Hey, I got you. What's going on, man?
1: I'm doing well. How are you
0: doing? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, so I just uh i I made it to the studio. I ran down here um in LinkedIn, and so I didn't really introduce you um. And so I figure you can you can kind of do that because I know we're we running short on time a little bit today, but, but hopefully we can get through some of the content. Um, and just to set the scene for you, I know we spoke a, a couple of days ago um, and I sent you the, the former podcast that I did kind of talking about impressions of West Point and things of that nature. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of pick up from from where I left off there with, with you, um, kind of introducing yourself and, and and talking about, you know, you crossing the boundary. Um, from civilian into you know cadet, and then
1: now into officership. So we're yes, of, definitely, yeah. So I'm Lieutenant Hutchison, Lieutenant Chandon Hutchison. I um, I met you first at prep school. So this was 2016 when I graduated high school, and that summer when I was at the prep school, and then 2017 I was a plebe at West Point. Uh, From there, I studied economics and Spanish with a systems engineering degree. And then I commissioned in 2021 where I branched infantry. And right now I'm in uh, Fort Bliss, Texas, with 1st Armored Division, 1st Brigade. I don't know how specific you want me to get to, but that's good.
0: It's funny because... um... Man, it doesn't seem like it's been that long ago.
1: It's been a long time. It's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, you know. We talk about a lot of these when I was listening to the podcast that you had sent me. It it feels really recent, you know. And the problems and the different type of discussions that uh, you were having, it still it still dominates West Point. I think. I think a lot of people that still go through there, really, you know, still still deal with the same things, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, like in terms of the identity stuff or.
1: Um... Most definitely. Yeah, I think most definitely with identity, right? West Point's such a unique place where you get a lot of high caliber people or a lot of people who are very motivated to do different things or serve their country or whatever brings them to West Point. And um, you cannot go through that institution without having some type of confrontation and conflict with your identity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember back? Uh, I was trying to describe our day, but I'm sure you lived it. I didn't. Do you remember that? And like, you know, can you speak to that in terms of like the identity piece?
1: Right. So uh, so I had two RDS, right, because I had one at prep School. That's right. Yeah. And then I had one at, uh, at West Point itself. And so the environment between both of those two places, although it is at West Point and just separated, just just really by a hill. Although it's right there, same place, you know, same cadre, because the cadre are cadets at the time or upperclassmen, it's totally different. So, the R day at prep school, well, I would have to do justice to say that, um, my perspective going into West Point, you know, I my parents weren't military, I really had no affiliation with military at all, um, or a history of it, and um, the I kind of went on West Point, I wouldn't say on a whim, but more so as um, I wanted to do something very different from from the people I grew up with. I grew up in Southern California. So when I decided to go to West Point, I didn't want to psych myself out, right? The people that I had conversations with before I went there, uh, they they kind of gave me, they scared me, right? They scared me about what West Point would be like and so forth and so in order for me to kind of not start trying to to think about West Point or 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 think negatively or whatever it may be or scare scare myself from the experience I opted to not know much right opted to kind of go there and and be a blank slate Mm -hmm. and it was it was kind of an ignorant decision that I chose but looking back on it I mean some of my experiences and stuff were very pure because of that. So maybe it was a mistake the way I didn't try and inform myself before I got there and just wanted to figure out when I when I arrived. But looking back at it, I think it was, I liked the way I did it. So at our day at, um, for CCBT, that's the, uh, the for prep school, it was, a, it was shocking, you know, uh, shaving your hair, getting yelled at. And that's one of the instances where I had felt my, like, my lack of understanding of the military construct when people would talk about ranks or trying to, you know, uh, refer to the different ranks of the, like, cadet chain of command at the time. So I was a sore thumb definitely as I moved through uh, the first couple days of and I found out real quickly, you know, just to stay quiet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you hit a point where you were like, This is not for me?
1: No, I never I never felt like this was not for me because I kind of felt like everyone was just as shocked. You know, what I mean everyone yeah. was kind of going through this experience. Unless they their prior service, uh everyone was kind of figuring it out. So I don't think that anyone felt like, hey, you know, not knowing anything is not for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think how I kind of felt like was, um, you could see a couple more people that knew what was going on and you just wanted to be like them. Right. And so you wanted to learn from them and, and do that type of stuff. So it never felt as if it was unattainable, right? You just knew that the learning curve was very steep and you felt it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I used to look at you guys. I know you listened to the first podcast and I was sort of be in awe trying to figure out what you were going through and like, how mentally draining it must be to try to assimilate into a culture with these new values and, and, you know, a different space because, you know, prep school looked a lot different than, than the, the prime academy, the main academy um, and trying to assimilate into that space as well. There's a lot going on um, post R day, you know?
1: Yes, sir. hundred percent. Especially when right after R day, you know, you have a, a couple day break and then you're going straight into academics and figuring that out. At the prep school, you feel that difference much much more than you do at the academy because the cadre, the upperclassmen that are usually at the academy, uh, they they return to the academy. So now the prep school is just ran by the prepsters. That is the whole chain of command. Mm -hmm. Mm So it's a bunch of people who who are not in West Point, who have not been in West Point, and they're trying to create, you know, different types of rules and, and um, motion to be able to facilitate uh, all of us to go through classes, go through the morning formations, do the workouts, and, of course, the military aspect of the side, you know, training. And uh, that different perspective. So it, it's really it is a really unique experience at prep school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your integration into like the day to day in West Point. You know, I the thing I keep going back to and we talked about this is the, the whole Banksy thing. Can you elaborate on what you talked about the other day with because I thought it was really profound. Uh, you know, maybe maybe your impre- impression impression of, uh, of those fellow cadets, your fellow cadets. Uh, the assimilation process and, and that whole Banksy theory is that, do you think that's crap um, or is there some validity in that?
1: Right. Yes, sir. So when I was listening to you say that, I had a different perspective, right? Because I was a cadet. I was not, you know, force calm trade doc I had not been in the military. Right. So I had listened to how you perceive this cadet and, and because of your experience in the army, How you can see him, and then, and then, kind of group him in or or sum him into what what this type of conduct would be perceived as in in the bigger army.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But from my perspective, as a today, I would say that. um, you know, it seems as if sometimes the loudest people, because you have, you have, you let me back it up a little bit. You have those four years, right? Mm-hmm. From the time you're a plea to the time you're first, you have those four years to really start figuring out, you know, your kind of your subcategory within the military. I think that there are a lot of different like characteristics and personality types that um, people kind of, group two or they wanted to kind of emulate and so in those four years it happens very quickly and so at west point i would say that you know that that cadet that you were referring to that had his his um
0: his sleeves rolled his
1: sleeves rolled exactly right his sleeves rolled up and the comb over and all of that i think that you know you may have seen him in And grouped them into, hey, this is what that kind of means when you're in the Army and and what that looks like. Whereas as a cadet, he probably saw an upperclassman when he was a plebe or when he was a yuck that uh, had his sleeves rolled up or had a different type of arrogance about him or confidence about him and that he wanted to emulate. And that trickle down culture Mm. happens very quickly where the identity that these guys emulate or the way that they want to show themselves and demonstrate themselves, they don't know the grand scheme of what that entails. And so the way that they show themselves is just based on the last upperclassmen that they liked. And I think that at West Point especially because you have such a steep learning curve of how people want to be professional um and to reveal themselves, identities like that and, and conduct like that um becomes more prevalent. Because it's usually the louder in, in, in short times it's usually the louder person or the person that wants to be in the front that um that can actually be in the front. Right. Usually it is time that that levels people out or humbles them, you know. But at West Point you don't you don't really have time per se, right? You're firstly for a year, you're the upperclassman for a year. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh this this idea of perception, um or perspective rather. Um, How it can differentiate Um, because I didn't, you know, I I reflect back on that moment with Banksy. I call him Banksy. It's still weird. Uh, But like how I projected that on cadets in the classroom, probably, you know, that was at a disservice to to my cadets uh, until I got to really know them. Um, So, yeah, that's really interesting. How was your, um, I guess, you know, as you matriculated through West Point um, and came into your own sort of identity consciousness what was that like for you, like when you started to kind of figure it out um
1: or, or if if you ever did you know right it was difficult um it was it was so difficult because you feel like you're a million different people into a million different people right mm-hmm. uh, you have different it, it is it was really tricky, right so for me, it felt as if you know when I went back home. That, um the things that I did at West Point or the things I did in the military didn't really have a space to be back home, so I went back home and I was the same you know I was the same person I was when I was leaving high school mm-hmm. right there wasn't much I could articulate on about the military to really make people understand right i thought and I think that was my first time where I started to realize that r- words mean things right where you can communicate with words as effectively as possible but they're really just words unless the person that's receiving them has similar experiences. Sure. Right. And so I slowly began to become aware of me wanting to gravitate to other people, maybe in the military to be able to communicate things or have conversations of likeness so that they can understand what I'm saying, you know? So like, as I was growing up in the military or really going through my college experience, I began to feel myself wanting to be near or, or have better relationships with the people in the military right so i think that was really my first um my first experience of starting to buy not necessarily like buy into something different Mm -hmm. but just start changing how i communicate or who i communicate to because i started feeling the you know, there's a huge disconnect to people who don't have those similar experiences.
0: Yeah, well, it's just like a lot of work trying to explain and get get folks on the same page. Um, right. Yeah. Did you feel like when you went home that uh, your old friends kind of looked looked down on you? I know most people at West Point, um, people just they have this idea of what West Point is, and so they see you and they're like, "Oh, we're so proud of you," and like, you know, you, you become a spectacle in a certain sense. Um, and I, I imagine that might cause some consternation between who you really are and who they think you are.
1: Right, exactly right. That dichotomy definitely exists. I don't think I felt it as strongly just because um, I I felt pretty in sync with the person I tried to portray myself as and the person I was, right? Mm-hmm. I felt like my I I wasn't really changing who I was per se, as just communicating differently and differently in different spaces. Yeah. Okay. So I never really felt like that. I It was kind of annoying, I guess, in instances when people would try and introduce you as like the West Point cadet or <laughs> the West Point or something like that. But those are pretty, pretty few experiences. And I guess that that bothered me because it was like, hey, I am not that. That is not my identity. That is something that I do. You know, and I align myself in, in all of those details, but that is not who I am. Yeah. But that realization, that takes a moment, right? Because I think that at West Point, people struggle with trying to figure out who they are in this space.
0: Yep. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, and, and, yeah I talk about that a lot, and I probably make some some false claims talking about these multiple identities that military service members have to kind of weave through. I think it's harder when you're younger, you know, if you're junior enlisted uh, or a or junior officer, you know, just just thrust into a new profession. You're trying to, like, create some at least an equilibrium, right, where, where your identity as a soldier and in that of, of you as an individual and citizen can, can combine into the a complete entity, you know.
1: And that's yes, t- Yeah, I remember you talking about this actually in class. Yeah. Right. Um, I remember you talking because I was upset. Right, I was upset. I think that um, uh, you you were talking about some music. Right, I think it was Coldplay. You're playing. you talking about Coldplay, and this wasn't during class. Yeah, because right? you like,
0: looked was, at me. I remember my encounter Coldplay? when you learned that I like Coldplay. You said something to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was not cool. Uh,
1: <laughs> this was either before class or right after, and um, I just remember asking you about you know, well, how can you represent yourself or how can you be yourself uh, while also, you know, being in spaces that maybe you wouldn't find, you wouldn't choose to be in, right? Mm -hmm. So in the military, you get tasked out, you get put in different places. And um, it it isn't because you chose to be there, right? And the spectrum of this is so wide, right? You could be, on a funeral detail or you could be the one supporting a spouse or something like that. So it isn't necessarily like something that you would choose to go and do on your own, but you're there and you have to own it because you represent something. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember you, I remember asking you like, well, how do you still be you in those spaces? And you kind of were like, Hey, you could put me in a clown suit. You could dress me up and put me in a clown suit. And that's okay because I know who I am. You know, I remember you saying that and I thought that was pretty profound. And I and that was my freshman year at West Point. Yeah, and I think having conversations like that and experiences of being in these different spaces helped me become more solidified in who I am, or at least be able to articulate myself and who I am.
0: Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Can you reflect back on that class? I, it, I think it was a literature class. Um, cuz what what is your major? I, I forget. What 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 did you major in? Economics. Economics. Okay. Economics okay. And
1: Spanish,
0: yeah, what what did the humanities do for you or or literature? If you can reflect on on, on my class or maybe major bricks at the time. Like what you know, how was that encounter? Cuz I know I did some um I did some some different things <laughs> in my class. Um right. what was that like for you?
1: I think that like when I look back at the classes I took and the memories I have of school itself, I think that um, those English classes were definitely one of my favorite, one of my favorite classes in the sense that it had me thinking, right? It it made me think beyond just regular ways of being able to try and finish an assignment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that's when, you know, you're doing something that you really enjoy. And so trying to, trying to answer some of these prompts or think outside the box, while effectively communicate and then, you know, be able to get that feedback in and, and adjust as you communicate. English English definitely uh, had started to make me think about how I communicate, how I'm perceived, how how it had me thinking about the medium of communication, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Were you more thoughtful about, um, or are you more thoughtful now about, the implications of your words, your writing. Um, and then I know you say you journal, you know, and, and kind of what that does for
1: you. Right. Yes, sir. I would say I, I, I am right. And then the same breath, sometimes it's really good, but there are moments where it slows you down. Right. And I think you can kind of tie this back to that cadet that you saw, but like that cadet probably didn't know, <clears throat> excuse me. He probably did not know better. Like he probably did not know that, the way that he was moving and, and talking could have offended someone else, especially like a captain who just came came to West Point, right? He probably did not know better. Sure. Yeah. So that ignorance yeah. enabled him to be able to make decisions without thinking about the repercussions of it, right? He he felt right, he he did right, and then you know moved forward. And so these classes, or especially with English, it started to pull back the curtains on this ignorance, right? You can't just say something and assume that it's going to be received with clear intent and and so forth, right? It makes you start realizing the the alternate perspective. Well, mm-hmm. if you don't have this type of like syntax and this type of construct in your conversation or in your sentence, then it can be perceived as this, right? Like subject verb, like disagreement, or you don't know like this or that. So it slows you down in thinking, but I think my problem with English, or what really would stump me when I was taking these classes, was um, it slowed me down so much so that I started it almost put you in a paralysis, right? Like mm. a decision paralysis, which is a good thing. I think that's how you know you're you're becoming more aware, but it is definitely a deliberate. A uh, step that slows your slows you down, slows your decision making process down.
0: Yeah, yeah, that yeah that that's interesting. I, I find that too. Even now, where it's like it, because it never ends, you know the, the acquisition of knowledge is never ending, and you you always have these questions, but then you're always thoughtful about what it means in different circumstances, and it it does kind of slow you down a little bit. Um, but I do think it makes you see the world in a in a multifaceted and, and holistic way uh far, far greater than, at least for me, my, my peers, you know, um, in, in terms of what, I, what I'm what i seeing around me, you know. Um, you know, the West Point thing is interesting. I made the point yesterday, I was in a podcast and I was talking about how homogenous West Point is um, as it relates to like a, a university where you have maybe more of a global perspective. Um, but again, West Point is trying to do something different with respect to melding academics and in the military as well, do you think in hindsight you, you're you adequately prepared? And, and and if not, you know, or if you are, what are some of those those gaps where, you know, in, in learning um, that, that you wish you would have got more reinforcement on at West Point?
1: Hmm. You, you're saying you're adequately prepared for yeah. what, just for life itself? Yeah, for
0: life in general, for leadership, like in terms of what you're encountering right now with your subordinates and and trying to negotiate your know, peer leadership, your your leaders um in your company and battalion. Um how would you say West Point sort of equipped you to handle all all of that stuff?
1: Right. I think um, so I would say West Point equipped you perfectly. I mean the institution itself maybe doesn't deliberately say hey we're going to introduce this type of friction we're going to introduce this type of annoyingness so these guys would have to make decisions right because in the future it will have this type of impact i don't think you know there is a deliberate side to some of west point as uh as it tries to produce leaders as it t- tries to produce critical thinking mm-hmm. but i think west point recognizes that when you put so many of these type a characters into this institution, this is what it will produce, right? And so the opportunities are there for taking, right? It's up to the individual, I think, to recognize that just as real as their conduct with with their team leader or squad leader or pl- like a platoon leader at West Point, different ways that you communicate or different ways that you portray yourself and the way that you... Uh, that you move in those spaces is a reflection of probably who you are, right? And Mm -hmm. if you don't like it and you blame the institution or you blame everyone else, um, that pattern will probably follow you everywhere you go, you know? Uh, And I think at West Point, it's so easy to be like, oh, well, here it's so difficult. The school is difficult, you know, it's cold, it's gray, I'm depressed, and... (laughs) all these types of things and you're and you're just blaming everyone else when at the end of the day you you should have just looked within yourself to be able to figure out why you aren't performing the way you want to right or you're not treating others the way you want to or treating yourself the way you want to so but that takes you leaving the academy right and looking back I was fortunate enough at West Point to kind of have that experience around my junior year I went abroad I went abroad and then COVID happened and so I had a an extended amount of time to look back at West Point while I was still at West Point. And I started seeing, you know, patterns that I would fall victim to of blaming other people and complaining about things when, you know, I don't think I was doing a good job of taking accountability of myself.
0: Yeah. You know, and
1: So I think when I had that kind of moment to sit back and look back at what I appreciated and what I needed to improve on, when I went back to West Point, my uh, second semester of my Cal year and going into my first year, I did a lot of things more deliberately, I think I became a little softer as it be- like as my conduct still like um you know, I was very no excuses you know i i didn't I didn't want to hear a lot of excuses from people that um I was in charge of or when I expected things. I think I began to kind of be more deliberate and slow down to be able to listen to what people have to say right i I think I became more empathetic and sympathetic really during that experience that at the time I had off. So really to come back and answer your question, yeah, I think West Point really is the place to learn and experience these types of things that will have an impact on your life. In the same breath, I think the, the person is responsible, the individual is responsible for recognizing, you know, it is that is your identity, right? It's, it's a big deal. And they just have to start re- referencing these instances and these run-ins and whatever it may be, you know, tests and what they take and these moments of a lot of friction. Realizing that how you move in those spaces, that is that is on you for the most part.
0: Yeah, what I hear you saying is, you know, taking taking some confidence in who you are as a person and owning that as it as it sort of uh, grows. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about. Um, I don't know if you remember this. You call me. And, we, and you were talking about this haircut friction that you were having. Can you reflect on that? You, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a hard that was that was a hard time for me because, um, you know, I'd see I'd see different texture hair, right, longer than my hair, but it wasn't it was it was my hair that was the one being told to get cut, and so I think that was like my that was like the last piece of myself where I was like, hey, I want I want. I want my hair to be able to be objectively as long as this. You know, I mean, I don't understand as people reference professionality and all of that.
0: Yeah, you're very, you're very frustrated because um, I I remember exactly. I was at the gas station when you called me in Hawaii <laughs> and you were talking about, uh, I think we mentioned like if you pull the string of a, of a white cadet's hair and you just pull it up, it's going to be like six inches, you know, something like this to be long. Um, but then you're getting you're starting getting an approached, and folks are asking you to get a haircut, and and you're clearly within the regulation. Um, and I remember going back and forth about that because that hair was tied to your identity in a certain way.
1: Right, hundred percent.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was interesting, and, and that was a moment I, I reflect back the conversation we had about you kind of. And in that moment, I saw you growing, not not sort of giving up on yourself to comply. Um, but just understanding that I don't even want to say that you're not your hair. Cause that's such a cliche statement. Um, but like to really think about if, if it,
1: this fight is worth the fight, you know? Right. And it's not even that, right. So, you know, it's, it really doesn't do justice to how, how much I had to think about this, right. And how much I had to fight and even talking with you about, you know, what it, what it means to have an identity. Right. But, um, really at the end of the day, the conclusion of all of that was, in, in general, what is the perception that I'm giving, right? Re- regardless of if it's perfect or if it's not perfect, what, like what is that perception, right? And um, on average, if you think that this perception isn't who you want to be perceived as, then you have the means to be able to control that, right? There's not a lot of things you can control in your life as it pertains to how people are going to perceive you, right, or receive you. But if there's little things that you can do that can align how you want to be perceived, then I think that um, you know you should you should try and line those things up, right? And so I think that's really what it came down to. It wasn't so much as me having an identity, right? As as it was me feeling misunderstood. Mm-hmm. When I started to put myself in the shoes of people that would like receive me or, or that I would uh, I would speak to. Well then I wanted to look in in such a way that I could be taken as professional and, you know, all these different ways. And if it started with making sure my hair was that type of way, then then that was okay. Right. That's not necessarily selling out. A younger me would, would say that you're selling out, but I think, you know, as I kinda grew up, I kinda started to realize that uh if you can control different things about yourself to so that you can reflect the way that you want to be seen as, then then take it. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. It's almost um, I wouldn't even say manipulative, but it's just understanding the situation around you, right, and, and what you want to what you want to gain, and there's repercussions for your actions. So if I want to, you know, if I want to walk around with an earring in my ear or something like that, um, then there's repercussions to that. I could do it; it's in the regulation, but then you know, there's a perception associated with that—good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, Same way that, you know, civilian clothes, for example. Um, You just have to be thoughtful of of what you're trying to receive, I think, when you make these decisions about about your own identity. Um,
1: Right. There's a reality that exists, regardless of if it's the correct one or not. You just have to know what that reality is. But not to go to, you know, don't let it tear you apart, because if you try and... You know fit the image for every single person then it's just like what we're talking about with writing you know that deliberate process of of, of choosing and knowing and not being and trying to you know minimize your ignorance if you, if you let it eat you up too much then you end up not making any decision at all
0: sure sure yeah that makes sense i'm gonna put you on the spot you're a lieutenant you're a, a, a platoon leader right now right yes sir so what what um I'm, so in two years, I'll be in battalion command. Based on your experience right now and what you're seeing, what what advice would you give me taking battalion command in an infantry unit?
1: <laughs> I, mean, I, you know, I can't do that. So I yes, you
0: can. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because I'm going to ask you again in two years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no, I'll look back at this and be like, man, what was I thinking? Uh I mean, I feel like anything that I would know, you know, you know, because you've been right here in my shoes. Well, well,
0: I mean, based on your previous statement about perspective, it, it different, right? Because you're you're seeing stuff. Things are not the same as they were when I was a captain or a lieutenant. And I only know what I see around me, especially looking around the you know the Duke undergrads here, because that that's that's the population I'm surrounded by. That's equivalent to the age group that you're sort of leading. And' I'm, I'm sure maybe there's some similarities, but i don't I don't know because I'm not where you're at, you know and and I'm not asking you to critique your current leadership either, right so don't
1: not at all not, yeah not at all. no, because I know you and you know me, so it would be it'd be totally different, you know um, Yeah. That's, shoot, put, that's, that's, putting, that's a difficult that's a difficult question That's sure. putting
0: you on the spot well oh, 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 oh how about this one? If I were to come in I'm, I'm your battalion commander. <laughs> right yeah, sir. I'm your battalion commander what do you what do you expect from me right and uh, usually the first sentiment that comes up is the honest one because you probably just thought about five things and you're like I can't say that I don't
1: want to say that I can't say- <laughs> no I'm really stumped because I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to think about uh, you know in my in my experience there's something unique that I could offer that doesn't just sound like something generic you know and i think that um i think that the biggest thing to be or to that i would would bring up with um you know how you talked about that cadet to loop it all back into to your banksy right Mm -hmm. i think the biggest thing to realize is that um the level that you're bought into right the level of your commitment and how you show this through your experiences like you sir Mm -hmm. you cannot Assume that everyone else, you know, your your junior lieutenants and your junior office, or excuse me, your junior officers, all recognize what the right answer is, right? Okay. And through the time in your career, your career has had so many experiences that your conclusion in different spaces is this is the right answer, right? And I think it's it's easily forgotten with young officers um, that they also need these experiences to be able to say, hey, this is right and this is wrong. And a lot of these guys, um, a lot of these lieutenants or second lieutenants and first lieutenants, they don't even know if they're going to stay in the military, right? And so um, I'd say regardless of where they are in this path uh, of of really development and commitment, they still have just as much to offer as uh, an officer that, wants to be in for the long term you know you just have to meet them and understand where they are in their stage which can happen with you know pulling back the currents and listening to discussions of how they communicate and how they like reference different things i think like if you're able to meet them on there or hear what they have to say on that level then you can maximize kind of the efficiency of the organization by implementing them um kind of in accordance with that. That's a difficult thing to do. It might be practically impossible. You know, I would just say, I guess my advice would really be just, you know, don't forget that not everyone um, has the same level of buy-in yet, you know? Sure. Yeah, okay. I hear you. Yeah,
0: and and I think that's valid too, you know? Man, you're pretty wise for such a... (laughs) Young man. I don't think so, sir.
1: <laughs> no,
0: I I think I've always thought, so I always thought you, you were more mature beyond your years. I know you got to get ready and go, but I'm going to try to drop a piece of knowledge on you in the next three minutes. It's a big idea, but I think it will benefit you and we can come back to it later. Um, I was thinking about the way we as a as a body, professional body in the Army, try to solve problems, you know, and we have these these steps like, you know, troop leading procedures and, you know, we look at mission variables like MET-TC and the MDMP. You'll learn that in a couple of years. Um, military decision-making process. And like all of these deliberate problem-solving steps. And the more I learn, the more I think about the the fact, I think this is a fact, that when we sit down and try to solve a problem or get to understand a person, as time, as time evolves, that problem is changing. Right? So if I sit down and I want to solve a, a, a problem with, let's say, um, I don't know, for for your purposes, uh range deconfliction over time, right? You, you know, that somebody else got a range schedule or something. And you sit down, you're trying to solve this problem, and it takes you three hours to really trot out the time analysis, the throughput, and all of that stuff. And at the end of the three hours, that problem has has changed from when you sit down to try to solve it, right? Um and and, and in reality, I had a, I had an old boss, and hopefully I can get him on this podcast. He 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 was not concerned with Going through a deliberate problem-solving process, but rather, you know, acknowledging the problem as it changes in real time, and, and, and making some forecasts in the future in terms of what that would look like. Does this does this make sense?
1: Right. Yes, sir. No, a, it makes it makes a lot. Of, yes, it makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. So, like, if you're on a battalion staff, you're going to sit in a room for about six hours and do mission analysis and all of this this process, which is valuable. But then, at the end of the the course of action development, when you're done. You solve the problem that is two days old. So so the, the answer is to that two-day-old problem, not the current problem that exists in real time. So I'm thinking through that right now in terms of how to catch up with with the technological advances, with the, the ever-evolving problem to suggest that you're really not trying to solve a problem at all. You're just trying to articulate what it is you're seeing in real time. and And, and if everybody has shared understanding on what it is we all see— Maybe we can get close to solving the
1: problem you, right and that's the I feel like that's the biggest point of contention right is if everyone has shared understanding you know I think that right you're talking about like range deconfliction or something like that you know and when you when you bring up this problem you bring everyone to the table and you sit down and you go to discuss something you don't even know if, if one of those individuals at the table is has the same level of awareness as you. That's right. Right. And so what you find out is at the end, when you're, when you're trying to solve this problem, what you've, what you've done is you finally just have made sure that everyone in that, on that table or in that room has the same level of understanding. Right. So, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you. That's, that's, it's a tricky one, right? It's definitely tricky because I feel like, Instances like that is what slows everyone up, right? Yep, absolutely. Yes,
0: absolutely. Well, hey, I know we're coming up on your time. I, I want to leave you, but I, I want to um, give you an opportunity to, to suggest, a, this again, put you on the spot, suggest a book. What's the last good book you read or you could recommend uh, to folks who are looking to kind of improve themselves?
1: That's a good question. <laughs> um I've I've been trying to read actually more fiction, uh, a lot more fiction. I I was um I was reading a lot of more like psychological books, but I think it was just starting to um, put me in circles. Mm. Uh, wow. I think the last good the the really last good book I had read uh, I, I read I was reading it right when I was coming back to. Fort Blizz from Korea. Um it was talking to strangers. That's what I'm Oh, that's the, the Mitch Mitch album, right?
0: Uh I don't remember. Man, if opera. I get that right and I'm like wicked, something something's <laughs> happening with me, right? Uh talking to strangers. I want to make sure. Oh, you know what? No, 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 no. That's um that's Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, talking to Strangers, Malcolm Gladwell yeah i listened yep. i listened to that on audible and it's it's very very good on audible um because you tell these stories about the spies and everything
1: right yeah really what the book comes down to i mean take it take it as you want but it, it brings up a lot of different real life scenarios right of, of different instances and and really paints a really good picture of um of the details behind it right and then and doing it it makes you as you're reading it you make a decision of what the right answer is mm. which is usually you know how the situation itself unfolds right and then it it breaks it down as to why that why you made your decision and why it's probably flawed you know and you know there's this thing with humans that you think that you can look someone in the eyes and you'll know if they're going to tell you the truth right or you know that they're going to that they're going to be honest with you you'll just know by looking them in the eyes because that's just, you know, how we are, especially in the army, especially in infantry. Right. Let me just look in their, Let me look in their eyeballs. Let me look face to face. Yeah. Right. And um, you realize that a lot of what we think about in those spaces is flawed. You know,
0: Mm, interesting. That's definitely profound, man. And uh, Hey, I really appreciate your time, your time. Um, And, you know, I mean, I'm building on that first podcast and, um, I know you're a busy man, so so thank you very much. This is uh, I'm gonna reflect. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang out with you, and I'm gonna spend about ten minutes reflecting, and then I'll send you this episode pre published. Uh, if you want to hear your voice, <laughs> it
1: is a good. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a good
0: it's a good way to critique your. Uh, and I'm not being critical. I use it to critique my public speaking, so I can like target yeah, sure. the, the verbalized pauses. Do I need to slow down things like that? So it's a, it's you cringe, but it's a good way to sort of hear how other people <laughs> hear you yes, sir. because we never spend the time doing that. So I would I w- recommend you do that. So, all right, man. Well, I'll, I will talk to you later. I really appreciate it again, man. Uh, really, really rich conversation.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you again for having me. I really do appreciate it.
0: No problem. You take care. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon, sir. All right. All right, folks, that's, uh, that was Chenin Hutchison, a former student of mine. Um, man, he, he, um, He's very thoughtful, and I don't even know that I, I was looking for a particular conversation or a way that that was going to go, but it's really interesting to hear him reflect about West Point and and the power of uh, understanding your own perspective. That's what I took a lot from that. Um, and, and even as I reflect on how I see the world, not to be so, um, I guess, not to, not to trust uh, my original perspective of something, just to understand where that's coming from, you know, so I don't project on the people. So I don't stereotype or generalize people, um, which is the case, you know, with the whole Banksy situation. Uh, if, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know the context of that. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, this was the second interview uh, with with Shannon and I did the first uh, with another cadet um, that I'm going to publish. And then I have one more that I'm going to do with a, a cadet who uh, recently got out of the Army and is now pursuing a law career. Uh, he's in law school right now at Cornell University. So I'm excited about that conversation as well. And then I will be done with the whole West Point thing. And then we can we can kind of move on to, to something else. So uh, so hopefully, you, you know, you, you stick with us um as we continue this this podcast again, uh every time I do it, it's it's just been very beneficial for me. Um and I will continue uh to do it in that in that vein. So thanks a lot again uh for, for joining in. I really appreciate it. And uh hopefully we will see you soon. So uh later.